welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hey friends, before we get started, you heard last week we announced that we are opening up registration for the beta version of an online course on book mapping. Before we jump in full force to an online course, we really want to test the content and ideas to make sure that it's as good as it possibly can be, just like we recommend doing with books. So this course is going to be perfect for anyone who has a book idea, but hasn't yet figured out what chapters you're going to have, what's going to go in those chapters, all of those big content questions. So the beta version is happening in the month of June. It's 2023 right now. And each week, starting June 1st, we're going to send you videos and sample book maps covering the main concepts of book mapping. Then we'll be meeting live as a group on Tuesdays from 2 to 3.30 Eastern to get your feedback, answer your questions, and give you feedback on your book maps. If you do join, we ask that you commit to being at these meetings so that we can get your feedback and discuss the content. That's what we're really looking for. So we're hoping that we'll get lots of authors coming from a wide variety of nonfiction genres and topics to join this beta experience so that we can get feedback from a really broad group of users. We just opened up registration last week and we already have a few people signed up. We've got memoir, Christian living, economics so far. So let me tell you what's on our wish list. We would love to have other genres, including self-help, business, education, if you're writing a devotional, um, relationships, health, anything like that, any of those genres or another nonfiction genre that we haven't mentioned yet, we would love to have you join us. The cost of this experience is $199, which I can tell you is much lower than it's going to be for the actual online course when it launches. And remember, that's with the commitment that you'll be at the meetings and give us your feedback on everything so that we can make the future version of the online course as wonderful as it possibly can be. So if this sounds like fun and you want to learn how to do book mapping with the personal guidance of me and Liz in person every week and be part of this experience to help us co-create this amazing online course, we would love to have you. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today we're really excited. We've got a special guest named Tyler Wagner. He's going to tell us all about networking and relationship building when it comes to getting your writing out there, publishing your book, spreading the word about it. And we're going to let him introduce himself. So welcome to the show, Tyler. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I guess if, if I were to give a short intro, I'm a founder of two main companies. One's called Authors Unite. We write, publish, and market books for people, more focused on the marketing. I'd say that's like our main differentiator in the in the market of publishing. And then the second business kind of stumbled upon that one too. It's called Infinite Partnership System. And that's more on the networking side. And it's basically teaches how we grew Authors Unite uh, through partnerships. So it's kind of like a way of building a business online without having to risk you know, paid ads, webinars, although that stuff can totally work. It just wasn't our method. And I think we have a kind of less risky method of, of scaling a company. Well, let's start there. Cause I'm fascinated. I really want to know more about that. I mean, how do you view 
Um, how do you view networking as a partnership? Like talk to me about the, the word partnership particularly. Yeah, for sure. So when I say partnership in this term, I mean like, um, like an affiliate or somebody that would okay. refer to you and you refer to them. And uh, basically what happened was, was this is about, I've been running the company about 12 years. So I wrote my first book when I was like 19, I'm 31 now. So it's uh, maybe 11 years running the company, but in the book business for about 12 years. And we, the biggest pain point I realized in the industry was marketing. Obviously writing is super hard. So I'm not taking away from that. I think anything involving a book is not easy, right? Which is why we all have jobs and we can help people do it because it's very difficult. Um, but the marketing, I didn't see any solutions. So we focused on like the bestseller lists and helping authors um, get featured in places, get Amazon reviews, just basically all the most difficult marketing aspects. And once we kind of solved them to the point we are, I guess it was about six, seven years ago when I feel we really solved them, which was like, how do you hit Wall Street Journal? How do you hit New York Times, USA Today, even though USA Today is suspended now, not to get in the weeds, but that list doesn't exist at the moment. I'm sure you guys know that. Yeah. Um, so like the bestseller lists and then, you know, selling tens of thousands of copies of your book, getting thousands of Amazon reviews and getting featured in like the Forbes and stuff. Like, how does all that work? And we really mastered it. And then what happened is one of my uh, publishing friends became basically like it was like 60, 70, 80 percent of our business. Like we looked at our CRM, where were all of our customers coming from? And it was basically this one publishing partner. And then it clicked. I was like, okay. And it was over a million dollars that this one publishing partner had referred to us. So I was like, okay, if I can find 19 more of this person or company, then we have a $20 million business. So what happened is I just went on, I guess you could say a rampage or whatever you want to call it. Um, we literally contacted every book publisher in the world that speaks English. Uh, we took it that wow. far. I basically had my team of virtual assistants just research and find, you know, every book publisher in all the English speaking countries. And then we uh, reached out to them through their contact forms on their website. Because one of the tricks here is, you know, if you do cold emails or text messages or phone calls, it can all work, but there are some limitations and like, it's kind of spam in some cases, but the contact form on a website, it's, you know, it's literally there to contact and there's no limits, right? And you can't really, uh, there's no spam like there is with cold emails. So um, that's how we did it on an unlimited uh, way. And then uh, basically now we have like 40,000 partners that refer to Authors Unite. We refer to back to some of them and a majority of them are book publishers. So that's what I mean is like you find your complementary to your product or service, which for us is like book publishers, ghostwriters, editors, and PR agencies. Those are our top four. They all work with a lot of authors. And even though we're in competition in some regard, we also offer things that they don't and they offer things that we don't too. So we build this mutual relationship at scale. Um, and I guess last thing I'll just say on that is most people I talk to have a few referral partners, but my idea is like, what if you had a hundred thousand of them? And I know it sounds crazy, but like, what if you did? And if you did, you'd probably, you know, have a bigger business. So that's, how, that's what we focus on when we do marketing. Wow. That is amazing. <laughs> and I have to say, I think you are the first person that I've ever heard, like actually recommend and successfully use 
general contract forms. Cause I've, you know, as an acquisitions editor, like when I was scoping out potential authors and trying to contact people, you know, there was always the contact form. And I was always like, oh, yuck contact forms. But I don't know. You're kind of changing my mind on that. I'm, I'm a little bit blown away by just that thought. I mean, there's a lot in there to unpack, but just that alone, I'm like, Oh, I, I never thought about it with that perspective, but you're right. Yeah. Well, here's the thing on it. And this is what is interesting is so most people don't use them. Right. So because of that, it's way less crowded. And when a website or a company sees a notification that their contact form was actually filled out. And to be clear, I'm not talking about like, you know, the uh, normal button on like the a funnel. I'm, you know, I'm talking like you go to the bottom of the website and find the little contact us page. Um, they're like never filled out. So a company, when they see that it was filled out, they're like blown away and they're like, okay, this person's serious. Like they took the time to fill this thing out. <laughs> and then, you know, response rates are higher than, than normal than on like a cold email or something. So, wow. Shortcut yeah. to the top friends. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's amazing. And I love that it's just so proactive and scrappy, you know, like I'm just going to go after everybody that I can. We're always advocating for that. People will be like, oh, I contacted 10 agents and I didn't hear anything. And we're like, okay, well, you know, there are thousands. So like, yeah, <laughs> keep trying. So I was just going to say, I, I mean, yeah, I would go and I'm extreme, but like, I totally agree with what you just said. And I, I would literally, if it was me trying to get a traditional publisher, I would have my team find all the agents and we'd honestly probably contact all of them. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't really leave one stone unturned because why, why would you? I don't know. That's the way I, think so, but exactly all it takes is. Well, it depends on your goal, I suppose, but like, it's just a numbers game to some degree, right? Yeah. Um, okay. I want to back up a little bit because a lot of people in our audience are just starting out. They've got a book idea or they've got too many ideas and they keep hearing that an important part of this process is having a network or having a platform of some kind. But I like zeroing in on network because we actually consider um, network part of your platform, especially um well no matter how you publish but if you do traditionally publish you know your network is part of the assets that you have that you bring to the table especially when it comes to book distribution you know we say we tell people all the time that your platform is just your book distribution channel who do you know that you can help spread the word and you know we'll buy your books so do you have any good advice for people who are like i keep hearing about i need a network but how do I build that in a meaningful way? Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways. I, I'd say kind of the, the best approach, you know, so build it before you need it. Right. And I mm -hmm. think that's what the issue is with a lot of people is, you know, they'll, they do everything so chronologically that by the, they'll like write their book and then they're like, oh yeah, I got to market this thing. Let me start to build some relationships. But then the ask to the other individual for promotion, it's like too soon. Yes. Right? So my thinking is, you know, branding and building relationships or like um, a list, if you will, it's, it's a very long-term play that can be leveraged multiple times over the long term but there has to be you know some give back right so uh, what i'm getting at here is if you do want to write a book and build an audience you know having partners is one of the best ways right because you could build an audience of like 
you know, 10,000 people of your target uh, customer or reader. But if you had an audience of 10,000 partners and all of them have your audience within them, that's way more powerful. So, you know, it, I'd say start now and I'd say start reaching out on LinkedIn and the contact forms, like I said, and there's a simple message I'll share with you guys that um, we use and we've tested a bunch of different ones. When we reach out, it says the same thing every time. It just says potential collaboration, hey, their name, so it's personalized. I think there might be ways we can collaborate and that's all it says. There's nothing else. And then the response is normally, hey, tell me more, like what did you have in mind? Then we'll respond and say, hey, we think we might be able to work together by referring to each other. If you're open to a short intro call, here's our schedule link, right? And then, um, you know, you build those relationships. You want to learn about them, see how you can help them and then vice versa. And then two, three years down the line, when your book comes out, you have hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands of these relationships that you can now call on to promote your book all during the same week. Oh, and then you can get the sales to hit a list, leverage the accolade for PR and like media hits. And then there's other things, but that that's how I would do it. It's yeah, going after it when you need it, but just thinking about it in the long term and start building them now before you even really know what your book is. You know, totally. And, yeah. Yes. What do you think it's about the word collaborate that makes people respond? So okay, so yeah, I think, uh, and we've tested like hundreds of these messages. Right. So I think the reason is because first off the message, it kind of just perks curiosity. Mm -hmm. So it's not, and it's not long. It's not a, a pitch really. Um, and, and so it's kind of like, in a sense, I think the psychology is like who, who isn't open to potentially collaborating or in a way of um, like, they're going to benefit and you're going to benefit. So I just think it works perfect. And when you compare it to all the other options of like, you know, on LinkedIn, I'm sure you guys have gotten this, these long novel messages of like, invest in my business, here's our stats and everything. And they, you know, they don't even say hi, you know, it's just like right. this. So, and that never works. Not, everybody I talk to agrees, like nobody really reads those messages. So I think it's just like, it's a breath of fresh air that it, it's like, okay, they're not trying to sell me something. It's one sentence and it, it makes them curious to learn more. And, you know, the goal of copywriting, um, not to get too much in the weeds of that, but essentially, if you if you study copywriting, the goal of a headline is just to get or a subject line is just to get them to read the first sentence. And then the goal of the first sentence is just to get them to read the second mm -hmm. sentence. So the whole idea is, if you can send them something that would uh, make them want to respond, then you're very close to getting the phone call that you want. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, it must be something about there must be I think psychologically like there must be something about them their response that makes them more committed from the get you know what I mean like just getting them even though they don't know what the collaboration is they don't have any information about you but just the fact that they like responded to a message or an email kind of means like okay now we've opened this door exactly and one last thing I'll I'll add to it um. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I said this on the last podcast and the guy found it really useful. So one thing we do, we also do retargeting ads and here's how you could use it. And he actually, oh, wow, this is crazy. He brought this up with um, getting a traditional publishing deal. So, mm. so hear this out, ready? So basically here's how we do it. And then I'll tie it in. 
is so when somebody responds and then we send them our schedule link, it's connected to our website. So it's like authorsunite.com slash connect. And then Calendly is embedded in it. So it has our branding and then it has like 20, 30 uh, retargeting video testimonial ads. So what happens is by the time they get on a call with one of us, they've already seen like 30 success stories. So they're like, already sold on the amazing work we do and then the call almost turns into them like selling us to work with us right so and it, you know, retargeting ads could be like five ten dollars a day they're so cheap and then i believe how the guy uh spun this is he was like so imagine if you're trying to get a traditional deal and you know you reach out to lit agents and traditional publishers and even if they don't book a call, but they re they click the schedule link to just look, if you will, and they're retargeted yeah. with like all these success stories of your book, then they might come back around a couple of weeks later and be like, you know, hey, I wasn't interested at first, but I've literally seen you on Instagram and Facebook every day for the last month. So now I want to hop on a call. And I was like, oh, I didn't think about it from that angle. So just an idea it hasn't been tested, but it, it, it seems to me that would maybe work in some cases. Can we just pause for a second? Because as an acquisitions, as a former acquisitions editor, and as someone now pitching our proposal to publishers through our agent, and having been in this industry for a long time, I've never, ever seen a pitch email that included a link to a landing page on someone's website that said, hey, let's set up a time to chat about this. Here's a link to my website to set up a call that right there again, super like tactical strategic move that already gets them thinking about and anticipating and going towards that outcome that you want. I think that's super, super smart. And going back to what you said before about the, um, just the inviting people into a collaboration instead that I was thinking about how that strategy worked recently on me and Liz. First of all, you, you reached out to us, <laughs> but also before that, um, one of our now friends, Chad Allen, he's another editor in, um, in this space. And he reached out to me and just said, Hey, I think what you're doing is really cool. I'd love to learn more. And I think there's some cool ways that we could help each other out. Would you like to have a call? And I was like, maybe. And I took a look at his website and I was like, huh, actually he's right. There are a lot of things maybe we could do. And by the time we finally got to our call, I had like three ideas for him and was like, Hey, what do you think about these things? Like, and I was just like, from that one email, I ended up pitching him ideas for us to work together. <laughs> Some serious reverse psychology there on his part. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Stuff, stuff works. And I'm not like yeah. a psychology major or anything, but it's, it's just like some of these things that seem small, if done in a mass scale type of way, they can be really profound. Right. And yeah. so just an interesting thing there. Yeah. Well, and I want to encourage people to get creative here because something I have heard, like some pushback I've heard from people, especially at the very start of their career is I don't have anything to offer anybody. I don't have a business up and running, or I don't even have a, you know, platform of any kind, or even a like, you know, message nailed down or anything. Um, but I would say, first of all, if you're targeting people who talk broadly about the same things that you want to be talking and writing about, there's a lot of different forms that collaboration can take. Like Tyler said, you can just refer people to each other. You don't have to 
offer them anything or team up in any like huge way. You know, we ended up doing a webinar with Chad, which was super cool. And we got hundreds of people on our email list because of it and sold products and stuff. And that was great, but it didn't have to be that. It could have been, you know, we, we just exchange information about our services and now we're in each other's network, you know, and we can keep up every now and then, or if you do write and they write about something similar, like swap posts on each other's blogs or, or Instagram shout outs, or, you know, like get creative about how you can collaborate with somebody and make it a win-win. And it does, and it can be as simple as, Hey, I'm looking to expand my network. You probably are too, you know? Exactly. And that's why I don't, obviously competition exists, but it's just not the way my brain works with this stuff. It's, you know, because in reality, right, we're a book publisher too, right? So some book, and we got some pushback, right? Like some book publishers would respond and be like, what are you talking about? We're competitors. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you get some people that are just not down for anything, right? Or whatever. So, but to me, it's like, I'm always looking for that one way at least, and there's normally more that either we offer something you don't or vice versa, or like you're saying, we could, at the very least, you could each do a social media post or something about each other. You could write a blog post for them. They could write it for you. You get two backlinks for SEO. You know, there's so many things you could do. And if you do it at scale, you just, you just win, right? So I just, Mm -hmm. I challenge people that in any industry, yes, you have competitors, but in the, the reality is, if you team up with all your competitors, then you'll probably do really well. Right. Everybody will like everybody would win. Definitely. So all of this makes a lot of sense and there are clear, um, clear ties and alignment to people, authors who have businesses, but I'm also thinking of, you know, a lot of my clients and the people that Liz and I work with are like memoir writers. And for them, especially, I hear a lot of um, like self-doubt around building a, a network because like Liz said, they kind of feel like they don't have anything to author offer. And I'm curious, Tyler, do you ever work with memoir authors? Like how, what would you recommend to people who feel more like they have a story to tell than a business to sell? Yeah. So actually that's like our top three type of clients. So we work like business self-help and memoir, I'd say like in that order. And we work with even children's and fiction too. It's just like, what's attracted to us is typically people that have businesses on the back end. And the thing with memoir, it's not always, but a lot of times people that write memoirs, they are open to like public speaking and stuff. Cause it's like, they're kind of not always, but a typical like inspirational story, I guess you could say, or like the hero's journey. So they could get hired to public speak. And a lot of public speakers want the bestseller tag. It helps increase their fees. And and all that. So I would say even with memoir, there can be a back end, even if it's not like a, a course or consulting or something, um, there still could be some sort of uh, back end. Um, but yeah, I'd say with uh, memoir, the strategy I would use is almost the same, um, but just slightly different because the back end's different. So I would start out and you know try to hit a major um, bestseller list, right? You want to get the book in as many hands as possible. And this is really hard for a lot of authors to hear, but the truth is, even if the book's like 99 cents or free and you're not making much uh, money off it at the beginning, you all the goal of all of this, in my opinion, is just to get the book in as many hands as possible. That's all you want to do. So I know it's like, it's so crazy to hear like, oh, you spent three years or you know two years, let's say, writing this book about your life 
And then I'm telling you, give it away for free. <laughs> you know? um, but the truth is word of mouth is everything with books. And it's, it's that way with a lot of things. I think it's the same with like songs, movies, you know, when you read a good book, it's almost like this, um, I don't know the word, but it, it's almost like a part of your identity. The best example I can uh, give is the four hour work week. That was um, mm -hmm. by Tim Ferriss. A lot of entrepreneurs uh, know that book. That was recommended to me when I was like 19, 20. And that's what got me to drop out of school and go on my journey for all this. That was kind of the uh, instigator, if you will. And the person who referred it to me, they were just telling me how good it was and how it changed their life, right? So it was almost like this thing, it, it like feels good to recommend something good to somebody else that had an impact on you because it almost like looks good on the recommender as well, right? Like I appreciate the guy who recommended me that book, even though he didn't write it, he's the reason I read it. So in a sense, I owe him, you know, just like a high five or something like, thank you. <laughs> you right. know, like, yeah, well, totally. So all I'm saying is, you know, give it away for free, discount it, get as many sales or downloads as you can hit one of the five major bestseller lists um, uh, that you can get to. Obviously, Amazon's the, the easiest one, but any of them I think is worthy of hitting because being a bestseller is better than not for, from a branding purpose. And then you want to have a PR agency and you could do this yourself if you're on a shoestring budget, but if you can hire a PR agency that can really shape the story right behind the memoir that is like relevant to the times and that the media would want to cover, right? And that's what PR specialists are the best at. So, and essentially, so you, let's just say you, you do a launch, you get 10,000 purchases, which I know is more than normal, but let's just say you do. Those people are reading it, word of mouth is starting. Then you have the bestseller tag, you have a PR agent pitching you, and then you're doing like two interviews a week. So the it's kind of like remaining in top of the media and like people are talking about it's consistent and then you want to get as many amazon reviews as possible and then do amazon ads what we've seen is once you get over a hundred um amazon reviews the conversions go up and once you get over a thousand amazon reviews then you're like with the greats and then conversions skyrocket for amazon ads so you know what you have uh consistently is pr media opportunities amazon ads and that's just consistent. And then the goal would be, you know, two, three years later, it's in a hundred thousand hands and then word of mouth kind of takes over and it just takes a life of its own. Um, and that's pretty consistent with any, with any book. Right. And the only difference with a business on the back end is you'd be kind of less focused on making money from the book and more focused on getting people through the book and into your back end offer, whatever that is. So the strategy is slightly tweaked, but almost the same. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And I know kind of the, the goal of this conversation is to talk about network, but I know that hearing you talk about bestseller lists, people's ears are perking up and they're going, oh my gosh, how do I make that happen? So you said, you know, using PR strategies and Amazon ads is a, like, those are core techniques to use to get your book into hundreds of thousands of people's hands. And then you said word of mouth kind of takes over. So are you seeing that people become uh, bestsellers and get on those bestseller lists, like multiple years, typically after their book has published. And is it that long or like kind of how long does that process usually take? So the way we do it, like if somebody were to hire us, we actually focus on getting the bestseller list rate on like the week of the release. 
and then that accolade is leveraged to enhance the opportunity for media and you put it on the cover of the book which you know you could argue depending on the list argue increases conversions the pr and amazon ads is more of a long-term consistent strategy whereas the bestseller is kind of just like a you know give it everything you got one week as many sales as possible at the release got it got it okay so word of mouth if you're banking on word of mouth which you should be and we all hope to be doing it means you have to have written something pretty good right so yeah. you know because yeah. like we've all seen bestsellers like launch to the top for a minute and then just sort of die on the vine because you know they had enough people to buy it in that first week and then you never hear about it again because probably because either they quit promoting it or they just haven't written anything that's that compelling yeah. so Tell us a little bit about your own perspective and what your company does when it, you know, to ensure that you've actually written something that people will want to share with other people years from now. Yeah, I love that you asked that. So I think what I think is a little scary in the industry right now is that I see a lot of, and I want to say, I don't, I don't necessarily think this is bad. I just think that if you're going to write a book, I think you want to write the best book you possibly can. Yeah. You know, like the idea you hear all the time, the book is the new business card, which I agree, but I don't think it should be treated as such. Meaning I don't, I think what I see a lot now is people are just slapping together a quick book just to call themselves an author. And that is exactly what you're talking about. And that's why I actually tell people, depending on what their goals and expectations are, like some people hire us because they literally just want to hit bestseller. They don't care about the long term at all. It's just a branding thing. And I'm like, okay, cool. We'll do it as long as those are the expectations, right? But if somebody comes right. to me and is like, I want to sell millions of copies, then I'm like, okay, we can't, we, nobody can ever guarantee that. Um, but if you really believe in your book, like you put a lot of effort and you would like die on the hill for this book, then in the long term, there's a chance and we could help you get there. Right. But if this is just like a business card book, it's just not going to happen. Like it's just so unlikely because what I tell people, we can give a book a chance, right? Like I can get it on the bestseller list and stuff and do all that. But as far as it's succeeding in the long term, nobody can guarantee that. The, the first part of the equation is like you said, the book has to be compelling enough. And that really the goal is like, if somebody reads it, is it compelling enough that they want to share it with a friend? Right. And, and that's really what it, you know, comes down to like Seth Godin, he talks about this, like the word remarkable. He's, he says, you know, basically what it means is something worth remarking upon. So is your art or your book in this case, something worth remarking upon sharing on social mm -hmm. media is the story. Like, I think a great example is the David Goggins, right? I think you've probably heard of, of that book. You mm -hmm. know, the stories in his first uh, book, Can't Hurt Me, were just so wild, right? Like when whoever read it, they couldn't help but just like tell a friend or two like, yo, this guy was running with like, I, I can't remember. I think he, he like ran a marathon with like kidney failure and he like still finished the race and the, he was like half dead while he was running. So it's like, and now look, prime example, I'm talking about it right now, right? So it's like, if your book can, um, you know, do that, it, it, it have people want to talk about it, then it has the chance. And then the only goal becomes, the only input becomes get it in enough hands so that that can occur. 
Um, so, so that's what I'd say is like, depending on your goals, I just, you know, I think, right. You can't spend, you don't want to over kind of perfect, but I would say like, if there's one place to put your money, it's in an editor, right? Like editors can change my first book. And I, I wouldn't die on the hill for my first book. I was 19. So it's pretty good, but it's not my best work. Yeah. Um, but my editor, I would say like, took it from like a two out of 10 to like a nine out of 10. It was that dramatic. So if you wow. have budget, I'd say editor is the first place to put it. And then obviously design and then marketing would kind of come after because you don't want to market something that's not incredible. So mm -hmm. the actual product needs to be first and then budget left over is to get the product in hands. Yeah. So does that answer the question? Yeah. We, <laughs> yes. Yes. No, we love to hear it. Anyone who's okay. out there like pitching and promoting editor services were always like, yes, like anyone, we, we did a masterclass not too long ago about editing your own work. Cause a lot of people to some degree, you need to be able to self edit, you know, but at the end we're like, this does not replace professional editing. You will always, always, always need to hire a professional editor. Yeah, I agree. Only for self edit. I think the best thing people can do is you read it out loud because yeah. when you read it out loud, you just, you notice errors that for some reason you're talking to yourself and your brain didn't catch. <laughs> and you'll be like, how did I write that? But when you hear it out loud, you're like, oh, that sounds crazy. But other than after one or two, maybe read alouds, then it needs to go to an editor. And I've, I've talked to a few people and they swear by their own editing abilities. And I just am kind of like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> like, no. Even if you're an amazing writer, you, you need some other eyeballs to give you a different just perspective because you're too in the work to really you're too in it to see it from the outside yeah yeah and i think anyone else anyone who has like enough experience with writing probably knows that like it would almost be a red flag to me if someone was like oh i can edit my own work i'd be like uh it's like if you're a therapist and be like i don't need a therapist i can be right. my own therapist you're like okay well i feel like any therapist would know that's a bad idea <laughs> There's a quote uh, by Ryan Holiday that I keep right up on my wall in front of my desk. And it says, nobody creates flawless first drafts and nobody creates better second drafts without the intervention of someone else. Nobody. And that's from his book, Perennial Seller. And I just, I keep Perfect. that quote and I don't even really know why, but it's just, it's so true. I feel like I see that every day. It's you, you absolutely need people to come around you. Um, and so recently I was reading Write Useful Books. Have you heard this book? Heard of this book by Rob I Fitzpatrick? Have, I've read the Ryan Holiday book. And actually, I want to okay. tell you guys something about him. I'll, I'll let you go first, but I haven't okay. heard of this. Well, this idea of like okay, network. You're talking to and... two big time Ryan Holiday fans. Just so you know. Yes. Okay, oh, sorry. nice. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Big fan. Yes. <laughs> um, well, so Write Useful Books by Rob Fitzpatrick. It's this book about how to design your book for shareability from the beginning. And it's a brilliant little book. It's super small. It's like 120 pages or something. And he talks about embedding beta readers into your process so that you can kind of engineer word of mouth from the beginning. Number one, you're getting people involved kind of in the you know creation process at the get-go so that they feel invested in the book. And number two, you're getting their feedback and obviously using that to improve the product, you know, treating a book as a product, not just a story, not just a message. Um, and then three, you once it's done, you already have this built-in network of people who really care aren't, and are excited about it. So it just, 
what you're saying, it makes me, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about all the ways that building your network can help you improve your product and your writing as you're going along and vice versa. All right. So there's a couple of things there. Okay. 100%. And like, so one of the strategies uh, I recommend to people, um, especially if they're on a tight budget is, you know, you build a, a group uh, for your book launch, right? But you, you start building it like even before you start writing, right? And then you kind of use that as your kind of test group. So you'll like, you'll write a couple chapters, right? You'll leak one chapter to the group and ask for feet. And it kind of becomes your feedback group. You'll do like a book cover vote uh, with it. And over time, and the way you could build this, right? Just do a post, create a Facebook group, do a post on social and just say, hey, I'm writing this book about this. If you're interested in watching behind the scenes of the journey, join the group. And one thing Gary Vee said that changed my life is he's like documentation over creation. And I'm not saying one's better than the other, but the reason he said that is like so many people get caught up that they have to create like perfect posts. When in reality, a lot of times people just want to see behind the scenes, the journey. So if you do that post, you get 50, 60 people in the group, let's say, and then you start to get targeted with your reach outs. Some people will join, even if they're not interested in the subject, they'll just join because they want to see what it takes to write, publish and market a book. So many people want to write books. So, you know, then at the end of, you know, a year or two, you have like 500 people in the group. Then when you go to launch it, they, they literally feel they're a part of the book because they've been with you through the whole process. And you can do simple posts. Like you wake up be like, oh, I don't feel like writing this morning with your tea or whatever, you know, just little things here and there. And people will really connect with you and because they've seen behind the scenes. And then when you launch, they all buy the book and leave a review. And that costs you nothing but some time, right? Um, one of the things I just wanted to say real quick is I think it's in Ryan Holiday's book, Trust Me, I'm Lying. I think it's in that book. Uh, and this is actually, I think, subconsciously where I kind of got the free book idea from. I just don't remember exactly what it was, but it, this was at least a part of it is he did this thing where, you know, I think they're called like torrents or like, you know how you can like get illegal movies online or whatever and stuff, yes, or music, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. So what he did is he actually did it himself. So he made um, a uh, PDF version of his book available online for free, but he put it on all those like illegal sites. And, and then he got like, I don't even know. I think it was like hundreds of thousands of downloads of it, but he did it purposely, right? Because he wanted to get it in hand. So he actually like hacked himself <laughs> to get it. And so that, you know, imagine if he's willing to do that to get the book in hands, you know, the idea of giving your book away for free is, is a good idea. And he's one of the best marketers, you know, on earth at this time. So I think for it, sure. it worked well. So just wanted to share that. It was a cool idea. Yeah, I know. I think it was O'Reilly Media that kind of got their start doing the same thing, just like putting books out literally for free. And this was back in like yeah. the early 2010s when it was like unheard of to do, or maybe even before that, when it was just like not a thing that is done, period. <laughs> and yeah. he was the founder of O'Reilly Media was like, yeah, no, we're, we're doing things differently because he just wanted to get the word out and it worked. So there definitely is something to that. I don't know that, I mean, traditional publishers are still behind the times, I think in yeah. on that strategy, which is too bad, so. Yeah, because one yeah. thing I want to say about that is like, you have to think about it like this, a PDF, let's say your book's 300 pages. 
who, if somebody likes your book, are they going to read all 300 pages in a PDF? Like how eye soaring would that be? Like that is not fun. So what'll happen is they'll read 30 pages and then they'll buy the book. Right. So that's really what it is. And yeah, I agree with traditional publishers. I think that's one thing that we struggle with is trying to get them to like discount, even if it's only for a week. And I don't get it. Maybe you guys have better insight on it. You probably do. It's just, to me, it's like, it should be about getting it into hands, but I feel like what they focus on so much. And to be clear, I'm not talking smack. I love you guys. You're all my partners. <laughs> I think you're great, but I'm just saying, I don't understand this view because I, I think they view it as they're not going to make much money on the royalties. But to me, it's like, it's only for one week and it's going to get in 10,000 more hands and then you can up the price. Like who cares? So I don't know. I just yeah. don't. Yeah, I don't know. I have heard that. Well, I don't know about the financial aspect of it, but I have heard from a good agent friend of mine that she has authors asking her all the time concerned about how much to give away for free because they're afraid people are going to steal their ideas. They won't actually want to pay for anything after that. And I think it's, yeah, antiquated too. And just like a very pessimistic way of viewing your work. Like, don't you have confidence? Okay. First of all, I never, I'm sure it happens. So I don't want to discount that it does, but like, I don't yeah. hear about it that often. So I don't think the fact that some, someone's going to steal your thing is that it just feels a little overblown. But other than that, like, aren't you confident in yourself that you can, that there's more to the well there that you will be able to come up with more ideas and more to say and more to give and that if somebody else steals your thing like well okay but you said it better probably and you can say it again and you can say something else again better you know that i don't know it just feels like like a scarcity mindset maybe is what i'm getting at that like they just want to hold it so close and make people pay for it and only give it to the right people who are going to do this thing with it and yeah that just feels very old school yeah, I agree. I believe in the opposite is what's bet. And I, I got this from Gary V because he talks about it when he started doing daily V is mm -hmm. he, he, he said something like this. He's like, I realized that 99% of people aren't going to do anything with what I say anyway. So I just started to give it all away for free. Right. And I think the idea with a book, if say if you have a book and then a business on the back end, um, and actually I'll speak to you, the, the idea thing too, real quick, but you, I say, give it all away in the book, right? Let's just say you're a uh, Facebook ads expert, literally give your entire, all the secrets, give the whole thing away in like a 400 page manual. Here's what's going to happen. People are going to read it. They're going to be overwhelmed. They're, it's going to be a lot of value. They're going to love it, but they're going to be overwhelmed. And then they're going to be like, I can't do this on my own. Let me hire this person. <laughs> That's what's going to happen, right? So you should just give it all away. And then the idea thing is, and I think this, I just listened to so much content. So I think this might've been Gary Vee again, but is like, if you have an idea, instead of trying to hide it, what you should do is actually become the loudest spokesperson for it. Because then if somebody does steal it, it would be very clear that they stole it from you because you were the first to post it and talk about it everywhere. Right. And yeah. so that's yeah. kind of the opposite way of thinking about that, of like, you know, just be louder and better. And then you don't really have to worry about somebody stealing it because it'll be so obvious. Yeah, that's so, so very true and good advice to remember. That comes up a lot when people think ask me about like trademarking their ideas, like trademarking a framework that I have. And I've been through the trademark process a few times as part of my 
former job. And so I, you know, I always tell them, I'm like, well, where, where are you already, you know, branding this idea? Where are you already, what marks are you creating with this idea already? Because you're going to have to submit all of that as documentation and evidence to make that trademark application. And they go, oh, well, I don't have that stuff before exactly that reason of like, oh, well, I don't want to put it out there yet, but no, you have to, in order to even trademark it legally. Well, yeah, there you go. So then literally you have to, I actually didn't know that. So, oh yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. You can't even hide it. <laughs> it's not even possible. Tyler, I want to ask you, um, since you brought up social media and, you know, posting and documenting behind the scenes stuff, you are so far our biggest social media person. You have over 500,000 Instagram followers. Um, in three minutes, tell me how you did it. <laughs> oh, well, you're going to love this. It, go it goes back to uh, networking. So here's what uh, has happened is a lot of my clients are like way more famous than I am. Mm -hmm. And I give one example just that comes to mind. There's a guy named Dr. John J. Quish. We did his book and um, his um, title, it's called Weightlifting is a Waste of Time. And I did a post after we helped him hit Wall Street Journal bestseller, I did a post and tagged him and then he reposted it. And then like the next, it was probably like two, three days later, I got like 10, 15,000 followers just for, because he has like 1.2 million. Right. So essentially through, and when I set up these partnerships, I, I, although that is a good idea, I haven't really ever been like, Hey, I'll post about you. You post about me, but just mm -hmm. as like the lowest hanging fruit for collaborating, you could totally do that. Right. Uh, but ultimately like we've worked on over 3000 books now. So like from enough times of our authors hitting these lists and success stories and me posting them reposting, I've just been able to build it up. We've also done some paid ads. Um, I've been featured in some articles that have gone somewhat viral. Like I've been in Inc, Forbes and a lot of the major ones. So it's kind of a build of a lot of different things. But I think if I were to measure where most of it comes from, it's my clients and I'm kind of getting an extra benefit from them just paying me. Um, if they're nice enough to repost what I post, then I get a, a benefit of more followers from their followers. Yeah. Love it. Mm, smart. Ariel and I are going to have to think about it because we are in the same boat. Most of, well, all of our clients are way bigger than, um, yeah, way more platformed and visible than we are since as editors and ghostwriters, we're almost always behind the scenes of a project until yeah. people start posting about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think sometimes people, if it's like a ghostwriter, they're hesitant to share because right. they, they don't, mm -hmm. but if it's like an editor, mm -hmm. I think that's way easier of an ask. Mm -hmm. So yeah. just saying on that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and even for ghostwriters out there, I know it's a little bit niche. Um, we even got some feedback that they're like, uh, don't go too in the weeds of ghostwriting. Most people oh. don't relate to that. So don't turn off everyone. I'm not going on ghostwriter rant. Um, I do just want to say... <laughs> say that um, you can put things in your contract um, that I've recently started doing about um, like a mention in the acknowledgements or something or on your website or even social, but you don't have to say you ghost wrote it. You can just say, you know, you were a collaborator. You're grateful to be a part of it. Quotation marks, that sort of a thing. So there are ways to for ghostwriters to get credit without having to say if your client doesn't want to and it's perfectly fair that they wouldn't. Hey, somebody else wrote this for me. 
um, but you can get some shout outs in different other ways. I love that. I've never thought of putting that in a, in a uh, agreement. So that, I might even, I might try to slip that in there. Yeah. yeah. I recently started doing that. Now, like you said, going back to like meaningful relationships and just building um, clout, you know, with people and goodwill for being like just a nice human being. Um, I've never had to ask before because all of my clients have been fantastic and we've had great relationships but i just thought professionally it might be a good practice to start putting in my contract that i do require um my name in the acknowledgement so i have recently started doing that but just to be clear it you know it the best version of that is you don't have to ask you just do such a great job that your clients want to rave about you no matter what so Agreed. And I think one thing I'll just say on that is timing. A lot of times with things, timing is important. So mm -hmm. for us, we'll do like, and for the various lists, like five to 10 launches in a week. And like the list, the bigger ones, they'll come out by like Friday to, or Thursday evening. Mm -hmm. um, so after they come out and I share the results with the client, that's when I'll ask like, hey, if you're open to it, it really helps mm -hmm. us if you do a video testimonial or a shout out. And you, they're so hyped that they're about to be in the Wall Street paper and you know, it's on the website, they have the screenshot that that's the right time to ask, right? Like not weeks after when the excitement's fizzled. Um, so either way, just I think timing's important there. For sure. Tyler, real quick, I know we wanna wrap up here in a minute, but one thing that comes up inevitably when we talk about network and building your network is conferences and kind of the value of, I get a lot of people asking me, what writing conferences should I go to? Should I go to writing conferences? Do people really do that anymore, especially after COVID and everything? Like, is that still a thing? And I know you wrote a book on conferences called Conference Crushing. So tell, give us like the quick rundown on what are your thoughts on conferences and like how useful they still are for building your network? I think they're huge. I mean, that that is, uh, I mean, it's kind of the foundation of my career. So I'm a little biased on this, I would say, on my answer. But I think there's two sides to it. One is it's never been easier to connect with people online. So do you need conferences now? I don't think they're a need, but I do think they can help because there's nothing like face-to-face -face in person. Um, so like when I was younger and I had dropped out of school and I was trying to figure things out, the reason I wrote that book is I basically what I did is I started reaching out to conference coordinators, telling them the truth. I was a dropout of college, aspiring entrepreneur with $80,000 in debt, and I didn't have money to pay for their events. So I was basically saying, can I come for free and I can help you with things here and there? Like I can set up the chairs or something. And surprisingly, most people said, yes, like I went to dozens of conferences that way. Like it, it worked often, but regardless if you do it that way, or you actually are a paid attendee, the key there is the people in the room. And that's what I noticed when I went to all these events is that people were so focused on the content. And obviously that is part of the conference. But to me, my biggest thing was actually like researching all the people in the room, being able to walk up to them with some information that I knew about them to start a conversation and then follow up with them like a week or two after the event to really build a long lasting relationship. Like there was this one event, uh, mastermind talks, there was like 20 speakers and I wrote a, a personal handwritten letter. So they all spoke. And then the next day, everybody kind of met 
I got up like 3 a.m. the next day and wrote a personalized letter. Ryan Holiday was one of the speakers. <laughs> so crazy. I just Oh, remember. my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry. That was just like crazy because full circle. <laughs> but um, and yeah, like I some of them followed up with me after like thanking me and like, you know, look, I'm not best friends with Ryan Holiday or anything like that, but I'm just saying I'm sure it at least like stuck with him for a little bit. Like, and for some people I became yeah. friends with them for life. One of the guys was Dan Martell. He just wrote a book. He was on my podcast and I gave him that letter like 10 years ago. And now me and him are still not best friends by any means, but he, if I hit him up, he responds, let's put it that way. Yeah. I'm close with his agent, Lucinda Halpern. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I'm working with her on something. So that's how oh, I know him. I was like, oh my gosh, I was just sort of writing something about Dan because of my work with her. So that's so interesting. Yeah. So cool. I don't know. That, that's all I'd say is just if you go to events, there's still a thing. Uh, just focus on the people, not the content is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I want to bring it full circle too, because you just reminded me of something in defense um, of conferences further. I got my start in ghostwriting because I worked for a long time with Jeff Goins. Do you know Jeff? Jeff? Oh yeah, yeah. Not personally, but I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. So years and years ago, I was at Jeff's conference and Ryan Holiday was a speaker there as well. He doesn't have a lot to do with the story, except that he was also there, but I had <laughs> been in Jeff's orbit a little bit because I'd taken one of his courses or something. Um, mm -hmm. But I went up and had a chat with him. And then it was like, that was in October and then it was in December. So November, December. So like two months later, he was looking for an assistant to help with writing. And I applied and I was able to say, like, I don't, I'll never know if this was exactly why, but I'm sure it helped that he had just met me, like actually met me, you know, in person. Yeah. And in any way, I ended up like working with him and we worked together for years and ghost wrote books together. And, you know, that's how I got my start in the industry. But um, but I had just personally met him. I just don't think there's any substitute for like actually being face to face with somebody and having them recognize you in that way when you go to build that relationship further. Um, yeah, I agree. So I guess in conclusion, right, there's like a good mix, yeah. right? Because I think the online, you can really scale relationship building, but mm -hmm. it'll never be as deep as it could be in person, right? So you still yes. want to go to those live events. Um, you know, maybe once a quarter is like a healthy way to do it, you know, because right. sometimes I know people I like that, that they go to every event, which if you like it, that's fine. I just think it would be hard to stay, you know, on top of things a little bit, but yeah. Totally. Well, that is the perfect way, I think, to wrap up. So, Tyler, for those of you, or for those of our listeners who do want to connect with you online, where can they best do that? Yeah. Uh, Instagram, if they want to uh, message me there, it's fine. Tyler B. Wagner is my handle. And then anything books is Authors Unite. Anything business is Infinite Partnership Systems. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at hungryauthors or hungryauthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Thank you.